Well, you can open to the book of Ephesians, chapter 6. We're only going to cover the last four verses, but I think this is a, a great way to get a little more insight into something is to hear someone when they're not actually trying to talk about something, they're just talking, and you get to see a little more of what's really going on in them without lack of a better word, an agenda in the conversation. I know when I'm doing training, dog training, a lot of times I'll be talking to the people and telling them what to do in the training, but it isn't until I actually work with the dog that they say, oh, now I get it, because they see me do it, and now they put the dots together. I know that's happened with me as well, like when I've gone to some of the leadership meetings, like with Irwin at the Leadership Advance, and he'll be talking, but then it's the interaction with maybe some of the other leaders that actually help me to learn how to lead better, because I see it take place. And I think that's kind of what we're getting from these last verses. And so let's read from verse 21 through 24. And then we'll talk about him a little bit more. It says, Tychicus, the dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord, will tell you everything so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. I am sending him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage you. Peace to the brothers and sisters and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. You know, we really have been talking and focusing on what it is to be a community. That's what our whole series on tribe has been about. It's been about what does it look like to have a community. And I really think we're getting a a glimpse of this idea of community from Paul here. Uh, A lot of times churches try to make community happen you know, by having groups, but then the groups are based on location. Okay, if you live in this zip code, you guys meet here. And if you guys live in this area, you meet here. But that's not how communities usually start. Usually communities kind of are spontaneous. You don't make friends just because they're in the same location, right? You go to a class and like, you're taking English too? Can we be friends? That's not how it works, right? Maybe for some of us, that's what we've tried. But, you know, that's not what it's about. And so the whole idea is that community develops when we actually connect to people. And it's something that you don't manufacture. It's something that kind of happens on its own. It almost develops. Genuine community seems to just happen. When you think about maybe one of your best friends and you think about when did it actually develop? How did I I get to be so close with this person? It was probably something that you didn't expect. You didn't plan on it. You didn't go, you know, to the office that morning or to school or whatever and say, you know what, I need a good friend. I'm going to find one. You just started a conversation over coffee or over whatever. And then all of a sudden there was the connection and it develops. And so how does that happen? We're... We're able in these environments to actually start to ask questions, open up from the depths of who we are. The the conversations move from superficial to actually things of substance where, you know, I can talk to you about things that are 
important to me, things that I care about, whether it's music, it's movies, clothes, it's relationships, it's hurts, it doesn't matter. It's something that's important to me that you start to be able to open up and disclose with someone else, that interactions now become intimately personal and real. I posted an article that I read a couple of days ago or yesterday about how people are are really pushing away from all the inspirational stuff that's out there, like on Instagram, you know, all those little things that's, you know, have a butterfly on the flower saying, it is a beautiful day, walk into the sunshine, or whatever it says, you know, these things, a lot of people are saying, you know what, that's not the life I'm living, and so there's this kind of backlash, and the whole point of the article was that what people are looking are for, for are things that are real, things that are genuine. I don't want to hear a fluff. I don't want to see something artificial. I want something that's genuine. I want a conversation that's genuine. If I feel like crap, I want to be able to tell you I feel like crap and not worry about saying the word crap. (laughs) We got to amen for the crap. All right. (laughs) we're free to bring up and discuss anything without the fear of being silenced without the fear of being judged we grow together spiritually because there's authenticity and because we actually care we care enough to want to hear the truth and not just hear the things that you think we want to hear or I think you want me to hear it actually starts to develop and become open, and that's when it becomes deep. And really, that's what we've been looking at. The the design of the church in the New Testament is supposed to be this spiritual community, but that's not how many churches look like, especially from the outside. A lot of times, they look like organizations, they look like corporations, they look like institutions. And that is something that people, again, will pull away from instead of draw near to. And that's why we for, refer to Genesis as a community of faith. Why? Because I don't want it to be mistaken as a church organization. I, I want people to go, what? What does that mean? You know, someone goes, oh, where are you going this morning? Like at Starbucks, you know, oh, what are you doing this morning? You know, I don't want to say I'm going to church because what could that mean? What church, what is their experience of church? I went to church, you know, one time and it was whatever it was. So I just like, well, what am I going? I'm not going just to church. I'm going to be with my family. You know, I'm going to be with people. I'm going to go and interact with people and, and talk about deep and important things. But how do you say that in two seconds, right? You know, so you just say, oh, I'm going up to, you know, my community of faith. Oh, okay. You know, maybe they'll ask again. Maybe they won't. I don't know. But as we've gone through the book of Ephesians, we've been exploring this Christian spirituality. We've been talking about these things, and these last verses really are about Christian spirituality that thrives in this area of community. And throughout the letter, the community has been a behind-the-scenes reality. It's been something that Paul has just had kind of in the background, but it's always been driving the conversations. Occasionally, it'll break through the surface. He did it in chapter 4, verses 2 through, I think, like 13 or so, where he's talking about our actions showing up in the things that we do. Uh, So even if these verses are just like him signing off, really, they're still full of some things that are important. And as he starts off, 
he starts off with this guy's name, Tychicus, right? And he says, the dear brother in faith. And so he says, a full, a servant, faithful servant in the Lord will tell you things so that you also may know how I'm doing. He references to himself here. It's more than, it's more connected than in like when he talked about himself in chapter three. This is more personal. He, he, he's emphasizing here about himself as a human person, not just on what he's doing as an apostle. And his readers would have a personal interest. They want to know, how are you, Paul? What is going on with you? We, we hear things, you know, that you've been in prison. We, we hear that you've been persecuted. How are you? And they're wanting to know what's going on with him. And so here he has the opportunity to kind of help them. But instead of just telling them in a letter, he says it's better to send someone in person. And so he sends Tychicus. He wasn't given a script. Tychicus will give you the words that I want him to read about how I'm doing. No, he's going to go and actually talk to you. He's going to let you know how I'm doing because he will be there and he can answer your questions. He can let you know more vividly the things that are taking place than I can just write in a letter. You guys know how it is to text and you can't read the emotion of the text, you know? And so sometimes I don't want people to think I'm being sarcastic, so I put a smiley face just because, no, I didn't mean anything. I'm smiling. Everything's good. You know, you just don't want it to be read the wrong way because in person, now you can hear the tone. You can see the smile. You get the sense of what's going on. And Paul's sending this person because he wants them to know. And again, that connection is how things are known. And it was up to him to give his own account of Paul's circumstances and answer those personal questions. And doing so, his job was to comfort their hearts. And that, that's where they held Paul, is in their hearts. We care about you. You're so far away, but we hold you in our hearts. Oh, if we could hear someone tell us how you're doing, it makes all of the difference. My son, who lives in Texas... Many of you have seen he's going to be having, he's going to be a father. He's having a baby, but he's in Texas. And all we can see is the picture on Facebook or the phone, you know, on the phone when they send it to us. And it's like, man, I just want to be there in person. You know, I don't want to see a picture of my grandson. I want to hold my grandson. It's personal. You know, it has to be that kind of connection. And so that's what's taking place here. And then he says, Tychicus is a dear brother. Now I have to admit that I have some problems with the terminology of brother. You know, there's this saying, don't bro me till you know me kind of a thing, right? It's like, you're going to call me brother, but you're not that close to me. And, and it could be, you know, from my own experiences, you know, where people have used the idea of brother, you know, so-and-so or sister so-and-so. And even though it has this sibling kind of close ring to it, it hasn't been that. It's been someone trying to sell me something. Hey, brother, I'd like to, you know, or someone rebuking me. Hey, listen, brother, you know, I need to talk to you about the way you're dressing. It's like, you know, or using the word crap, you know, on a Wednesday. It's like, thank you, you know, brother. I don't feel brother to you. 
I don't feel close to you. But the whole idea here, the intention of actually the whole purpose of Christ, as Paul mentions, he's creating this new humanity in Christ. The intention is for this family language to signify the spiritual bond that is supposed to be here with us. You know, and so now when someone is in a situation, it's nice having family come over as opposed to a visitor. You know, when your family comes over, you can leave some of the dishes on the counter or the dirty clothes on the floor. Well, maybe you can, maybe you can't. I can. Um, but if it's guest, I still do. No, <laughs> if it's guests, you know, you want to tidy up to make a good impression. The whole idea is family is someone who's close. And that's what he's doing. In, the, in verse 23 for brothers, the New Revised Standard Version has in place for brothers the whole community. And really that's the sense. This is the new family that Jesus creates in him. And this is the new family that we are a part of. And he says there, a father, you know, he's in Psalm 68, he says he's a father to the fatherless, a judge for the widows, which means he's going to care for them, is God in his holy habitation. God makes a home for the lonely. Isn't that beautiful that we have a family in God? And that's really this whole idea of enduring terminology. And then he gives Tychicus credibility in that community, a, a relationship of trust is essential. You know, it's important if we are going to have a community, a family that we can be trusted. One of the things that, you know, in Celebrate Recovery that they're talking about is what happens here stays here. That you don't take what someone shares in confidence and start talking about it with other people. Because then that person you know, goes and meets on a Sunday morning and go, how are you doing? Hey, how's that, you know, thing, how's that growth on your back doing? You know, it's like, what? You know, how did, do you know about that? Oh, yeah, you know, so-and-so told me about it. It's like, boy, boom. All of a sudden, it's like, this community now knows too much about me. No, thanks. I, I, I've been betrayed, and it hurts. And maybe you've been hurt or betrayed in that way, and, and you know what it feels like. Paul knew that there were false ministers, people who were not faithful to God. And to God, the truth and goodness to his people is what matters. And so here he's bringing about his credibility that you know who he is. He's faithful servant of the Lord. And so he's someone you can listen to and you can depend on. God's work in a human soul is a precious thing. And it can't be handed over to abusers. And so when someone confides in you and opens up their heart to you, you need to see that as something precious and not abuse it. That's how we make this a safe place. That's how we keep Genesis from becoming an organization. We keep it as a family. And so if someone speaks to you, don't abuse their generosity and their opening their hearts to you. In verse 23, he says, peace to the brothers and sisters. And spiritual community depends on 
actually developing some of the basic gifts that are there. Paul, at the end of the letter, returns to what he began with when he talked about the God of of grace and peace. God supplies us with spirit-building potential. We learn to accept, to surrender to, and live in these things. And they include, first of all, peace. We don't find this in our circumstances, but in the deepest place of our souls. Have you ever been to a place, we were talking about this earlier with Preston and just some of the difficulties he's going through, but he feels the peace of God with him. Where is it? It's not in the circumstances. It's taking place in him. It's not that we first have peace within ourselves and then we can have peace in the community, but we learn it for ourselves and most often with the help of community. We see peace in others or someone prays for us. I was talking to a friend the other day and he was opening up to me some struggles that he's going through. And I sat and as I listened to him, then there was time when we could just pause and we can invite God into the situation and pray and develop that peace. And that's really what it's supposed to be and the community is supposed to be. We get that help from there. We, we, we know that God wants to give us peace and we can get the help of what it is, find it in God, and it starts in us and in our hearts. The other thing that we are included with the idea of community is love. There is no spiritual community without love, and this community needs to promote it. We need to promote love for one another, and we need to see it in these things. You know, when I began Genesis, or when a group of us began Genesis, I loved the idea of what I wanted it to be. I just like, oh man, I know what I want Genesis to look like. And, and it really drove me. I want to see these things happen, and these things happen. But as time grew, grew and time went by, Later, instead of finding that I loved what I wanted Genesis to be, I found that I actually loved the people who were part of Genesis. And Genesis changed to me from this idea that I wanted to have to the people who made it happen. Because an idea is not something we love. It's people that have the substance of what we love. And that's when I began to actually listen Instead of, here's what I'm going to do, start listening to people and address the needs. I'm still learning how to do it better. My wife helps me in very constructive ways um, to listen, to address the real needs and not just my ideas. And that's hard sometimes. It is for me. My ideas seem to dominate how I do things and I have to see people above my ideas Another thing that a spiritual community is to have is faith. And with faith, trust in God is accompanying everything that we do. Paul takes a breath to remind us that these things are from God the Father, as he says there. That this faith is from God the Father. We can get caught up in our program if we forget this. And we cannot create community, but we sure can destroy it or prevent it from developing We can't create it, it has to grow from us. We don't just manufacture it, but we can destroy it. We can destroy the idea of community by taking advantage and abusing people and not caring and not loving. And the last thing is grace. I like to think of grace as 
energy for the soul. That's something that charges you when you get it or when you give it. That it's something that actually gives you a boost. Something wonderful comes from our lives that we are incapable of producing except for it being given to us first by God. Paul really is kind of qualifying this. He says, all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. This is the things that we are supposed to bring to community, the things that we are supposed to have. And I want to make a few more observations that these might be so obvious that sometimes we just overlook them, assuming that they're always in place. One is spiritual community requires a safe group of people. You can't just feel safe. You don't just go somewhere and say, oh, I feel safe. We must be safe. And again, that includes how we conduct ourselves, how we interact. This means I can speak speak freely without fear that I'll be criticized, belittled, or ignored. And we can disagree, but your voice still matters. We can have a variance of opinion, but who you are is still valued. And so we have to make the place safe. The relationship within the community is give and take. Others might make the community safe for me, and I can make it safe for them. And so when people welcome me with all my brokenness, I do the same and welcome them with all their brokenness. And it's, again, interesting how we can make the standard different for others than we do for ourselves, but really we need to extend ourselves just like we want God or just as God has extended himself to us, which he talked about earlier in Ephesians. And our best communication tool in a community is listening. If you want to share anything of value, the best thing you can do is first listen. If you're going to talk about important things, then you need to hear where the other person is on those things. And in community, we must learn to listen without judgment, without condemnation, so that I can hear you without thinking, I'm going to fix that. I'm going to answer that. I'm going to solve that. Remember in 1 Corinthians 13, love thinks no evil. Had to remind myself of that the other day when I was going down that road. Things I don't know about for sure, but I start assuming that this is happening. And then just remember, love thinks no evil. If you really love someone, don't make those thoughts or entertain those kinds of thoughts. The safety of our community must be such that people are willing to open up and bear their souls in these areas. You know, we have to see this. Sometimes you can compare your soul like to a wild animal. It will fight fiercely to defend itself, but it will also hide from humans. And that's what starts to take place with our soul if we're afraid we will just retreat. 
If we want to catch a glimpse of it, we must be quiet, still, and very patient. So think of a person's soul like a stray animal that's scared. You don't go up to them, hey, come here, come here. Just go, no, thing will run away. You have to sit down. You okay? It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. And give that animal a sense that you're not going to hurt them. What if we did that with people? What if people came up to us and we were as patient with them as we were with a stray animal we were trying to rescue? We show animals more kindness sometimes than we show human beings. In our gatherings on Wednesday, Sundays, the soul doesn't show up right away. When we get together, people don't show up with their souls right away. A lot of times it has bodyguards. It has ego. It has deflection. A defensive sense of humor. Ha <laughs> ha, yeah, I'm, I'm okay. Everything's fine. You know, you've gone through the ringer that week and you're hurting. You come to church and you don't come and say, hey, everyone, I'm really hurting. You have to get there. And it's slow. And it's, maybe it'll happen through the time of singing. Maybe someone coming up and starting to share and starts breaking down those things. And the exposing of our inner life can be a scary thing, which is why many prefer to go to church than to be the church. That's why a lot of people, oh, I can go to this place. It's big. I can get lost. And so we need to keep breaking things down so that we don't get lost, so we stay connected, so we stay a part of what is happening. Just being big isn't the problem. It's when you start getting lost. Spiritual community requires a shared brokenness. That's how people feel comfortable. I can't tell you how many people have thanked me for being transparent and telling him all my faults. Like, you're welcome. Yes, that's nothing better I love to do than tell you all the areas I am weak. But it's it means a lot to people. You know, if I just went and told everyone all the victories I had, made myself seem like some great person, then they would be less open because I have to be like that before I can share anything. But if I say, hey, man... I'm messed up. This is what I do. I, don't, I lack faith sometimes. I struggle. And then they say, that, me too. Sometimes those two words make all the difference in a community. When someone just says, me too, it's like, okay, now there's community. Me too. We're in it together, and we start to see these things together. Because we start to see every one of us is made in God's image. We're not all the same. We have different socioeconomic and educational backgrounds, but we're still made in God's image. And that's what we start looking for when listening to the stories of others. The more in touch I am with my own brokenness, the easier I can accept the brokenness of others. If you see yourself as rescued, then someone who needs rescuing doesn't seem below you. And you can see the image of God, even in the most broken people. And maybe that's where we need to start in our conversations with everybody, is seeing them in that light. Spiritual community requires us to allow God to work in others and to work at his pace, not at ours. Remember when Jesus again restored Peter and John... We talked about it Sunday. You know, 
Peter wanted to know, what about John? You know, what's going to happen with him? Jesus says, you need to follow me. Let's you and me deal with this. Don't worry about him. We need to refrain from being intrusive or controlling and be people who accept people where they're at and work from there. I read um, a little, what is it? It's It's like a blog. Uh, Donald Miller had a couple of good ones this past week, and one of them was talking about this communication. He listed three things for us to to ask, some questions to ask if we want to have better relationships. And one is, first, what if we are not in competition with the people around us? What if I don't have to try and prove myself to you? What if I'm not trying to look good for you? What if I'm not in that competition? Second is, what if... Relationships are meant to be enjoyed, not fixed. That one struck me, right? What if relationships are meant to be enjoyed and not fixed? Oh, how hard that is for parents. Oh, my gosh. There comes an age when your kids need to be enjoyed and stop trying to be fixed. I'm not going to tell you what age that is because I'm not sure yet. (laughs) But I want to be able to enjoy my kids more than try and fix them. And I want to be able to enjoy the people of our community more than be there to try and fix them. What does that even mean? Except I have an attitude that I think I know what they need. Oh my gosh, I don't know what's going on in your life. How can I know what it needs or pretend to? You know, not until I get to know you and then maybe I can be of some help. Third is what if... I am actually a gift to people the way they are to me. A lot of us struggle with self-esteem. And you don't see yourself as being of value. But I know one person this past week told me that they weren't going to be a part of something until they found out someone else was going to be a part of it. And then think, well, I knew they were going to do it, so then I wanted to do it too. And I told them, have you ever thought that maybe it was the same way with you? Maybe someone else wanted to be a part of something, but because you didn't, they didn't? And that never occurred to them. Well, no, not me. I'm not important enough. You see, but what if you are? What if you're the gift to the people the way they are to you? Just interesting ways of developing and stepping into this community And do any of us really have the answers for someone else? Really? We're trying to figure the answers in our own life. To find the answer, sometimes it's the journeying together more than the giving of advice, especially if it's not asked for. Maybe it's the the bowing and crying together. Maybe it's the sitting and praying together. In conclusion, before we watch the the video, it's thinking about Acts chapter 12 when Peter was locked in prison. And, And as he was there in prison, he was chained to four guards. And then an angel came, walked walked in and broke him out. And when he came to to the last barrier, there was an iron gate that was there. It opened by itself miraculously. And then the angel left him and he like in a sense, wakes up as he's outside the prison thinking, what? What just happened? You know, this miraculous thing happened where an angel of God releases him. 
But from that point on, he, he goes to where there's a gathering of believers. He, he knows where they're at, and so he goes to their door, and he pounds on the wooden gate. And then someone comes to the gate, and they say, who is it? And he says, it's Peter, let me in. They say, no, Peter's in jail, we're praying for him. And he has to keep on knocking before they open the door. In fact, he had to knock more than once. And you see, God doesn't do everything for us. He opened the iron gate for Peter, but Peter had to knock on the gate of the community to get in. The angel didn't open that door too. He had to knock to get into that door. And God doesn't do everything for us. Sometimes you have to knock to get into a deeper place in community. And remember that. If you've knocked because you want into a community, sometimes you have to knock again. Because those of us who are on the inside, sometimes we're sort of hard of hearing and sometimes we're just clueless. But guess what? Sometimes so are you. But that's what makes us a community. We're in this together. And so as Paul closes this, he closes it again with the things that he started with, with the peace of God, with the grace of God, recognizing that this is the character of all those who love the Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. And that's what we want to have here tonight. I want to close our time together with a video. It's about 20 minutes. A couple of friends of mine who I've met through uh, grassroots and the spoken word uh, go to a church in Monrovia and after they went through the book of Ephesians in their church, uh, four of them got together and put this on where they're going to go and take us through the entire book of Ephesians in about 20 minutes. But I hope you will find it as engaging as I did. I know it really was something that was moving to me, and I'm hoping it'll be moving to you. So I'm going to start that now.